Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number seven. And today's episode is sponsored by the Mapped Out Money Minute. This is another podcast that uh, mostly I do, but Hannah will jump on every now and again. It's a daily podcast, and we try to keep everything uh, less than five minutes, but normally it's two to three minutes. And they're just daily, quick money tips that you can implement and get yourself thinking about how to get ahead with your finances on a daily basis. So if that sounds interesting to you, uh, check that out, Mapped Out Money Minute. So as we record this, the coronavirus is still the the hot topic that's going on. Yeah, it's it's what, May 7th? So mm-hmm. we're a few months into this quarantining situation, and uh, some states are even talking about starting to slowly back open. and uh, Slowly back open? Yeah, back open. Open back up. <laughs> Get my words right here. Yeah, but, you know, we're right in the, right in the middle of it still, honestly, and, and it still very much so feels like we have no idea what's going to happen, right? They've extended things like the PPP for small businesses, and they've extended stimulus payments and unemployment and all these sorts of benefits, at least here in the U.S., but at at least to me, it still very much so feels like, but I don't know what's going to happen the rest of this year. Like, it's just hard to say. Even with things opening back up, like, they don't look anywhere close to normal. No, they don't look anywhere close to normal. And so uh, I think it's something that both, you know, our long-term retirement investments and the stock market is going to be sort of a who knows game for a while. And then uh, I think just the rest of uh, the way a lot of people make their living is still sort of a who knows game for a while. So with all that in mind, we thought it might be helpful to talk about a few tips for managing your money during a crisis. So while we are talking about it during the coronavirus, we hope that this will be helpful for any crisis. It's not just for the coronavirus. Yeah, that's definitely our goal. So we've got seven tips that we kind of want to walk through and uh, we'll share each one. And then as always in the show, we'll share a little bit about our, our personal experience or some extra thoughts we have on how to dive into that. Uh, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you. So with that in mind, uh, let's, dive in. let's dive in. Yeah. So uh, tip number one is going to be don't time the market. And this comes from a lot lots of, of emails, lots of emails, text messages. Uh, I mean, uh, you see it all over Twitter, all over every piece of social media. People, you know, going like, uh, now, you know, now I want to, I want to try and make some money. You know, how do I make some money in the stock market? How do I, you know, do I go all in on Norwegian cruise stock? Uh, what airline do I need to buy? Because of course. They've got to come back. and it, what's, It's so tempting. I mean, it seems it so easy. It seems so easy. Yeah. It seems so logical. Pick something that was strong before the coronavirus hit, invest in it, and I mean, you're sure to win, But right? here's the problem, right, with this, is the people who are talking about this can't even know, like what you just said, the pick something strong. Who knows if Norwegian stock was strong before this hit? Like, That's true, uh, yeah. Unless you actually know what you're doing, and you're a day trader, and you do this for a living, and you're a professional at it. The average layperson doesn't know how to look at the underlying uh, assets of a company and gauge whether or not that company, uh, let's say, is overvalued or undervalued compared to the stock price. Well, and I think most of us, like, we know so little that we don't know what we don't know. Totally. Yep, that's exactly right. And 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 so what happens is now we've got all these normal everyday people, people I went to high school with, right? And we think that we can oversimplify it yep. and, and be okay. Yep. You and, know. and there's so much more at play than we understand. Yeah. So um, 
you know, as far as this tip is concerned, a couple things I want to share would be one, you know, let, let's take a step back and look at history, right? So think about 2008, think about uh, the dot-com bubble. I'm actually reading a book right now called uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is uh, written by Ben Horwitz. And he was a CEO of, uh, of a company, and he was very much so involved in all of the dot-com crash around the 1999-2000 the era and everything that happened. And it's really interesting reading about that while this is all happening right now. And because the same stuff is happening, companies that you never thought could go to zero, you never thought could go bankrupt, absolutely can yeah. and do. And the problem is normal everyday people like me and you and probably people listening to this podcast don't know what those companies are going to be. Well, it's tempting to put a lot of those big companies that we're all so familiar with up on a pedestal and think that they're immortal. Um, but yeah, you definitely need to be more realistic about that and, and recognize that they're not. No, they're not at all. So again, if, if you're a day trader and you professionally uh, manage money and you spend 40 to 60 hours a week analyzing the market, then great. Totally ignore this first tip. Um, but for normal people, uh, what we would recommend would be what's often called uh, dollar cost averaging, which is basically a, a fancy way of saying, take however much you can afford to invest into the market and invest it on a regular monthly set basis. And then where that term dollar cost average comes from is that over time, you're going to buy on really high days. And then you're going to buy on really low days. And if you were just buying on a set schedule all throughout uh, 2020 so far, you would have have you would have bought at the at the highest the market has ever been, and then you would have also bought at 30 percent below that. And if you drew a line across all these different purchase prices that you bought over the years, it would be this dollar cost average. It would be this average line that would be a pretty good buy, right? You hear buy low, sell high, right? Um, if you just dollar cost average and keep doing it on a set schedule, the average amount that you're buying in is going to be pretty good. And yeah. over time, you're going to be just fine in the long run. Well, and you kind of touched on it just then. But the other point that we need to emphasize, I think, before we move on to tip number two, is uh, that you haven't lost anything until you sell. Yes. Geez, yeah. Yes. So a lot of people, um, several people have emailed asking like, oh my gosh, my retirement's going down. I'm supposed to retire in the next year or so. Like, do I need to get everything out? What do I need to do? And it's like, no, don't touch anything. Yep. If you can avoid it, do not touch anything. Yeah, and even, you know, I get frustrated with a lot of the mainstream news, right? Because they literally will use the words, oh, lost, right? Uh, we've lost 30%. We've lost 25%. We've lost this. And to your point, you haven't lost anything unless you've sold. You know, um, Warren Buffett is is famous. I remember there was an interview where somebody asked him how much he lost during 2008. And he said, I didn't lose anything in 2008, you know, because they wanted to hear like, you know, how many millions of dollars did your portfolio drop by? He's like, I don't care how much it dropped by yeah. because it came back because I didn't sell. Yeah. So we'll get more into what we would recommend uh, looking at for investing into here in a later tip. Uh, but for now, tip number one, don't time the market. And we'll move on to tip number two, which is Nick's favorite. It's my favorite. We're going to build a budget. Build a budget. That's right. So, you know, ultimately, this is advice that you're going to hear us harp on over and over again, whether we're in a crisis or not. But it's especially important during a crisis. Yeah. And another something that we've kind of been saying this whole time is what was smart and wise before the coronavirus stuff started 
is still smart and wise now during the totally. coronavirus, yep. and it's still going to be smart and wise after the coronavirus. And so I feel like this build a budget really plays on that idea. Yeah, well, you know, as you're going to see in some of our later tips about um, finding places you can cut back or places that you can increase, you don't know where those places are unless you're budgeting and tracking your money. Yeah. One of these sort of uh, um, questions I've been asking a lot of people lately about uh, whether or not they should build a budget is comparing you personally building a budget to a business having a budget. And I think especially if you've worked in corporate America, you're very familiar with working in business budgets like, oh, the marketing department has an annual budget of this or um, I'm working on a specific project in, in my you know area of the company and our budget for this project is that we're very familiar with that. And we understand how if a business didn't operate that way. They couldn't stay in business. They would mm -hmm. probably go bankrupt because nobody would be paying attention. It would all get overspent and they wouldn't be able to be profitable. Well, in the same way, you are the CEO of your own life, right? You're running uh, a, um, a business of your life. And we should think about how we want to budget for our life and make sure that we're maximizing those dollars uh, in the way that matters the most to us. Yeah, and that's such a great point because so many people avoid budgeting because it feels restrictive. Yeah. And so switching that mindset and realizing you're in control of what your budget says and what you're allotting money for in your budget. So it shouldn't feel restrictive to you. It should reflect your values and the things that you most want to spend money on. And I think like during the coronavirus, I think most people would agree that they've been more anxious, more stressed than normal. And we also have more time that we're at home and probably a lot of people are online shopping like even more than normal. And I think we have a tendency to do that kind of retail therapy and you know buy stuff when we're feeling bad. But if we don't have a budget and we don't know what our financial situation is, spending money is stressful for most people. I think it's like, you know, it's like when you break your diet and you eat something unhealthy and then you're like racked with guilt about what you just ate. I think that's what most people do with how they spend money. So imagine, reimagine that scenario where you're stuck at home and you're online shopping and you find something that you really want and you know, like, this fits in my budget. Like, yeah, um, this is kind of like something to help me cope. It's something to make me feel good a little bit, but it's in my budget and I'm still meeting all of my other goals. And so you can actually do that and enjoy it. You make such a good point because I think the word that comes to mind here is shame, mm -hmm. right? Because m a lot of people will buy something online to cope, but it's not like a hundred percent of them doesn't feel good about it. Yeah. You know, maybe the 70% that they really want it wins out, but there's still a percentage where they feel shamed or are ashamed of buying that. And they're like, man, why did I do that? I knew I shouldn't do that. I really, but you know, I wanted it. Whereas, well, and so many people just don't have a good grasp on, on like how much money they have. Yes. So it's like, maybe they do have plenty of money to buy it. Yeah. Maybe they don't, yep. they really don't know. And so like you default to that feeling of like shame and uncertainty and feeling like, Oh, I shouldn't have spent that. Like this is a crazy time. I don't know what's going to come up. Yeah. This is a reason we have this called the mapped out money podcast yeah. or, you know, the reason we've named our business mapped out money is because the way we view budgeting is it's just a roadmap for where you want to go. That's it. So it shouldn't be restrictive. It shouldn't be this thing that sucks. It should be you saying, here's where I want to go. This is what really matters to me. 
let me make a plan with my money to make sure that I get there. Yeah. So let's dive into like the practical side of that just a little bit more. Like for somebody who's never budgeted and wants to try to start, like what would you tell them to do? Yeah. So what I typically tell people right at the start would be to build what I call a tracking budget at least for a month. And then what that what that essentially means is um, most people start budgeting way too aggressively. And they think that budgeting means cutting back. And so they they sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper and they say, okay, how much do I want to do for groceries this month? Oh, this much. How much do I want to do for eating out? Oh, this much. This, you know, right now, Corona, right? It's how much do I want to do for takeout or Uber Eats? And it's way too aggressive and unrealistic. It's not even close to what they actually do. They get two weeks in, they look at their numbers, they're nowhere close, they hate it and they quit. So what I would tell you to do is to build a tracking budget, which simply just tracks what you're currently doing. Do that for a month. Living the way you're currently living for one more month is not going to kill your budget. Then from there, we start having a conversation around your specific values and dreams and priorities and goals and about what you care about, Mm -hmm. right? And we start re-envisioning the budget that we have, this tracking budget, and we start making small tweaks here and there that start aligning with the individual values that we have. Yeah. And playing off of that idea of, you know, deciding ahead of time, what are your values and what money do you want to put towards those values and what money do you need to be putting towards the future and all that stuff, deciding ahead of time where your money's going to go. One of my favorite parts of a budget is that it helps with decision fatigue. So in the moment when you find something that you want and you're kind of um, like your, your viewpoint is uh kind of overshadowed by like your your desire to just like impulse. And I was like, what word am I looking for? Impulse buy something. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But you're like wrestling with it. You're like, oh, should I buy this thing right now? Or do I need to wait? I really should probably wait. And you spend like all this mental energy and time wrestling with the decision and trying to talk yourself out of it, but really still wanting it. And it's like right there at the front of your mind. And, you know, you can't like get it out of your head. So a budget really has helped me with that. So when I come across something, like if I really want it, like my my kind of latest thing is I have this really cool watch that I want to get. And it's just like a digital watch. And I, I think it's like actually made for surfers, which clearly I am. <laughs> Makes so, perfect sense. Yeah. So I need this watch. Um, but it's like $100. Right. And so I don't have the spending money to buy that watch right now. So I, if I still want because that. Because you're married to a tyrant who won't give you any. Yeah, that's right. So I'll save up the next couple of months. And when I do have the spending money to get it, then I can really enjoy making that purchase. But in the meantime, I know like, okay, I've got that thing in the back of my mind. I can't buy it right now. I think I want to buy it later. So I'm going to I'm going to be saving my money. So I know that I'm like taking the action steps to get me to the point where I can buy that and feel good about it. And I don't have to spend all this. I don't have to do the mental tug of war right now of like, buy it or don't buy it. Should I be good? Or should I just go ahead and buy it? Because I really do want it. And you know, it's the coronavirus and it would make me feel better. So, you know, (laughs) well, no, it's perfect. That's a perfect analogy because the whole the whole point, right, is make a plan with your money before you have the opportunity to use it in the moment, yep. right? It's just sitting down and consciously deciding before you can even spend it, what do I want to spend it on, right? It's like, uh, it's like making your grocery list uh, before you go to the grocery store instead of, you know, we, we've all had those moments where we're super hungry. We have nothing at home. Then we go to the grocery store to buy yeah. stuff. And guess how much stuff you're walking out with? Like everything. Everything. Yeah. Right? And so if we actually make the list before we arrive to the grocery store, um, we're going to buy a lot less and we're going to be a lot more conscious about what it is that we're buying. Yeah. That's and- all the budget is. 
the majority of us, I mean, I know that minimalism is, you know, all the rage, whatever, but the fact is most of us love stuff and we're inundated with, with uh, companies trying to get us to buy stuff. And it's basically the equivalent of always going into the grocery store hungry. Oh yeah. You know, like we're always being shown cool stuff. We're always being shown things that are going to make us look like a stinking surfer and who doesn't want to like a surfer. So it is hard, like in the moment to make, make the wise in quotation marks decision. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think a budget really helps with that. So yeah, I think, you know, as far as tip number two is concerned, creating a budget, if you found yourself in the middle of a crisis, like right now, and you haven't previously had a budget, like we said a few minutes ago, the place to start is just by tracking what you're currently doing and get a lay of the land for what's happening uh, right this second. And uh, and that'll bring us right into tip number three. Do you want to do you want to touch on tools real quick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, our number like top two recommended tools um, are Mint.com and then YNAB.com. And I like recommending them both because they are very, very different, and they're they're going to appeal to very different people. Uh, Hannah and I personally use YNAB, uh, but we have a lot of friends who use Mint and have a lot of success with it. Yeah, we have some friends who are like both people in the couple are super naturally frugal. Like yeah. they just they just don't want to shop a lot. They don't want to buy a lot, and so they're basically like, "Why do we?" They're disciplined to hit their goals, anyways. Yeah. And so Mint is more of like giving them the data on what's going on. Mm-hmm. They can look at it periodically, make sure that they're sort of in line with what they care about, and that works great for them. And it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you want more of a proactive approach, where you're going to be a little more involved on a day to day basis, if you're married to somebody like me. That's right. If you're but like stuff. <laughs> well, but not not even that. I mean, I think it just fits. It fits our personality and the way that we think about no, our goals and, and working towards them. So. It does. It allows us to be much more strategic. That's right. With That's our right. money. Yeah. Okay. So tip number three is to cut out what you can and prioritize getting cash. This is right specifically during a crisis. Now, before we dive into this tip, I, I actually want to talk for a second about this idea of offense and defense in your finances and how it relates to using your money in a crisis. So, you know, we've all heard the phrase defense wins championships, which is true in a lot of ways, and that's that's great. You have to have defense. But at the same time, if you literally only play defense, you would just tie the game, right? You would have nobody score. Yeah. So you still have to put points on the board. You ha- Like offense does matter too. And the way that plays out in personal finance is defense is, you know, uh, cutting expenses, saving money, building cash, building your emergency fund. It's that kind of stuff. It's its reclusive action, whereas offense is um, forward action, right? Like finding ways to increase our income, starting a new side hustle, starting a business, changing our career, all that stuff that increases our income. And a lot of personal finance folks tend to focus on one or the other, mm-hmm. right? So you'll have people that are super in the frugal camp, always talking about budgeting. And then you have people that are like, and eh, forget that, just like increase your income and then you're going to be fine. Yeah. Whereas I, we like to take a balanced approach. Like I, I'm like, that's great. Why can't we just do both? Mm-hmm. Like, how's that sound? Right. So whenever you use that example, it makes me think of my, uh, my soccer days. And, uh, it was like me out on the field and my rec specs and, uh, my and dad, hold on. Your soccer days are like what? You're like five, right? I don't know. Unfortunately, I was older than that. I wasn't super old or anything, but I think maybe, maybe in the eight to nine range. Okay. I'd like to say that I was five, but my dad talks about how I would like stand on the wrong side of the field and just like jump up and down like a cheerleader. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I was doing, but what I remember, what finally got me to, uh, to leave the world of soccer. I know that they were sad to see me go, 
my coach like yelled out at me to play a certain position. And, and I remember standing there like, what? We have positions? There's different positions out here? Like when, what lesson did I miss? So I don't know where I, I was. I thought we were just kicking the ball around. I, I know. Yeah. I thought we were running back and forth. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I like missed that practice or what, but it kind of makes me think of, of people during the coronavirus. And I do like that idea of thinking of it as like offense versus defense. And I think a lot of people have um, been in that kind of just survival mode. And so you haven't even thought about, oh, the, hey, there's different ways that we can play this. Yep. There's different positions we can take on this. That's right. Um, so, yeah, that's what that makes me think of. Yeah. And, and you know, true to my personality, I always want to take a balanced approach. Uh, anytime I hear, if, if I'm on Twitter, for example, right, and I just see a bunch of people all posting offensive stuff, like, crush it, get out there, do this, blah, blah, right? That's how we're going to do Corona. I'm, all, I'm like, I'm immediately like, mm, we need to like play some defense though, too, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like uh, make some cash, right? Versus if I'm also in the same Twitter, right? And I see all the same people talking about like, um, you know, more defensive moves, I tend to go like, eh, we need to do some offense too, right? Oh, you just described your disagreeableness. I am. I'm one of so one of our good friends described Nick as being disagreeable. And we we're like, man, that's like the perfect description. He, I think he's, he meant it as a compliment, uh, I think. But he did. He but did. yes, I'm. I can be. I don't always mean it as a compliment when I say it. No, <laughs> no. Okay, so let's let's get back to this tip, right? So you've got this in your head: offense, defense. Well, this tip number three is defense, right? What can we cut when we're in a crisis? Naturally, a lot of us, uh, unfortunately, uh, might have lost our income, right? There's how many? What are we up to? Twenty-two million Americans have applied for unemployment or something like that. Um, and so the fact of the matter is. We have to play defense at this point. So this is where this uh, this is where we're really building off tip number two of having that budget so that you know what you're doing so that you can actually find out what you can cut quickly. The way that we would go about this is by figuring out the bare minimum that you can live on, which is going to be your absolutely must pay for bills, right? This is rent. This is insurance. It probably includes like bare minimum groceries and a handful of other items for your family. And that's pretty much it. I think knowing your bare minimum gives you a lot of peace of mind, too. It does. Um, I, I can't remember what I was listening to or what I was reading. Um, I can't remember what it was. But the guy was talking about how he thought everybody should go through a period of living like they're super poor because then like it doesn't scare you. Anymore, yeah. like you realize, oh well, I did well, that's that. a very um, stoic thing to do, right? Like a lot of the ancient Stoics would go through this period where uh, they would live like a homeless person for a month, mm-hmm. you know, every couple of years, just mm-hmm. to remind themselves, like, you know what? If I lost everything, it's okay. It's it's okay. Yeah, like you play it up in your mind, like the whole world is going to end if yeah. you know this happens or that happens, and and. When you go through this process of figuring out what your bare minimum budget is, I feel like a lot of people can get scared of thinking about that scenario. But it's like, hey, at the end of the day, it's it's okay. You'll yeah. make it through it, and eventually you'll be able to add some things back in. But it is it gives peace of mind to know that you are capable of going down to this certain level. Totally. And, you know, what we're saying with this tip is, is not that you have to cut down to that level right now. It's just knowing it's, what you need you to know do. that level. And then depending on your specific situation, if you're one of the 22 million Americans who've applied for unemployment because you just lost your job, right? Um, then, yeah, you probably do need to cut down to that bare minimum mm-hmm. for a little while. 
Um, you know, if you're getting the government assistance, getting the unemployment uh, increases that have happened or being able to try and find some ways to make money in other ways, if you can at all, as much as possible, build any cash uh, right now, you need to do that through cutting down to that bare minimum level. Now, if you still have your job and maybe you're just working remotely, uh, what I would say is if you're in a very unstable industry and by luck of the draw, you still have a job, you also might want to cut down closer to that bare minimum level so that you can build up your cash reserves, right? Uh, now, on the flip side, if you're in a super stable industry, maybe you work for Lowe's, right? Who's trying to hire like crazy right now. Maybe you work for Amazon. Uh, maybe you work for Zoom, right? One of the companies that are actually almost thriving in this pandemic right now, then you're not worried about job or income loss. You maybe don't need to lower your expenses as much, but it's still helpful to know what that level is so that you can pick and choose uh, what you want to cut, if at all, so that you can build up cash, right? So kind of the way Hannah and I've done it, our income hasn't really been super affected because of this, thank God, which has been great and, and obviously a huge blessing, uh, but we still have cut our expenses a little bit. The way we think about it is what's our bare minimum number? And then the next group is what are the things that are nice to have? And like a handful of things that are like, eh, we don't have to have this, but it'd be nice. Mm -hmm. I, I like doing it. And then the third group is everything else. And mm -hmm. so what we've sort of cut is some of that stuff in the more peripheral everything else category. And we're working off of our base bare minimum plus some nice to haves mm -hmm. so that we can save cash and, you know, I'll talk about going on the offensive here in a second. Okay, so you've talked about cutting down to like bare minimums or cutting down to some degree to to prioritize cash. But what do we need to actually do with that cash? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people hear about the emergency fund, right, um, which is something we talk about all the time. I think it's important, again, to always state, I like calling the emergency fund an income loss fund first and foremost because that's what it should primarily be used for. Ideally, we're using our budget to plan for medical expenses and car breakdowns and all that stuff, and we're really using emergency money for times like right now if you lost your job. So with that in mind, if you're if you don't have an emergency fund built up that's, you know, 3 to 6 months ready for income loss, then your cash needs to go there in the first place, which we keep ours in a high-yield savings account with Ally Bank, right? It's very simple. We don't do anything fancy. We just keep it there. If you've already got the emergency fund and you're just trying to cut so that you can build up cash, well, then you might be more in a position to go on offense, uh, which we're going to bring up in some later tips. Yeah. And just to kind of tie it back in to what we talked about before, this is where it's really useful to know what your bare minimum number is and how easily you can get down to that bare minimum number. Because uh, Nick gets a lot of questions about how much, you know, do you need to have saved in an emergency fund? And it depends so much on your situation. I mean, three to six months is always great. But, you know, if you know that you can very quickly cut down to super bare minimum expenses with six roommates and eating yep. beans every meal, you know, you might not have yeah, if you're if you're a twenty two year away old quite as like, much. you know fresh out of college and don't have any kids, then you can have a much smaller emergency fund than somebody who's in their forties with three kids and you know three dogs right yeah, for sure totally the other point I like what you made there was about knowing your bare minimum is also helpful for the standpoint of let's say you do have three months of living expenses saved. If that's full-blown living expenses, like what you normally spend, and you know what that bare minimum number is, if you wanted to cut to bare minimum, 
that three months might be five months yeah. of bare minimum, right? Yeah. Uh, which is immediately giving you more time, which is another kind of pro of knowing your numbers. Yeah. And even even if you think your job is totally stable, I think it's really valuable to to be aware of that bare minimum scenario. Yep. Um, just in case you ever do get taken off guard with income loss or, you know, whatever. Cool. So what about tip number four? All right. Tip number four is to make yourself as employable as possible. Yeah. So this is the, this is more the offensive side, right? So budgeting, cutting more on defense. Now we're talking a little bit more offense. So if you still are employed, if you still got a job, uh, we want to crush it right now. Like yeah, now, really good at it. now is the time to that so that when things go back to normal, if they did have to cut or if anything does happen, you're one of the people that gets brought up in the meeting that says, oh, we got to keep him. We mm-hmm. got to keep her. You know, they're an asset. We absolutely have to keep it. So, you know, show up to those Zoom meetings as uh, many of us might be bombarded with them these days. But show up, show up on time, be ready, like be prepared, get your work done, all the stuff that you know you should be doing. But just use this opportunity as a, as a place to really stand out at work. Uh, and make sure you're doing a great job. The other thing that I like doing in this scenario is there's a good shot that a lot of companies are going to figure out that this whole working remotely thing is possible. And so if you if your job has moved remote and you like that and you're like, man, I kind of would like to be you know remote, do yeah. this more. Now's an opportunity to you know even show up and 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 crush it more for that reason too, so that when things go back to normal. You can, you know, say to your boss, like, hey, you know, I was I was actually more productive when I was remote than when I've been at the office. Yeah. And use that as negotiating power to uh, potentially uh, negotiate a work work remote situation. Okay. well, what if uh, what if your job has been affected or gone completely away because of coronavirus? Yeah, I think, you know, we've been talking about using this time uh, to try and develop new skills. Right. And and basically say, okay, how can we. Uh, go on offense from that career perspective so that we can either make more money uh, or make different money, right? Diversify it. So, you know, that's developing new skills. Maybe that are in line with your current job, uh, but that might allow you to maneuver, right? Or um, trying out a side gig, right? There are are lots of companies, not lots, but there are companies right now who are uh, busting at the seams in terms of they're they're actually being so overrun right now in terms of demand mm-hmm. and they need help you know they're, they're trying to hire like crazy so looking for opportunities where you can try something new um if you've been thinking about some sort of business or anything that you've been planning or kind of gone like oh I, you know i've always kind of thought about doing something like that now's a great time to try something new and see if there's anything you can do Uh, to potentially set yourself up for increased income down the road. Yeah, and it's a great time. You know, we've mentioned the Strengths Finder on here before, but it's a great time to look into that book and that test and kind of figuring out where your strengths lie and maybe some of the best opportunities for you to grow and develop yourself. And I think Nick and I have kind of been having this conversation about how this is almost like a really intense new year. You know, it's like a, it is. feels like we're pushing like a hard reset button. Yep. And so as we've made this transition over the last week or so to things starting to reopen, Nick and I have been talking about wanting, wanting to make that transition mindfully and think about how we're doing things, what we're doing and, and really assess like, what were we doing before the coronavirus that works? What wasn't working so well? 
and what do we want to carry forward with us from from the whole like quarantine period and everything so yeah I think it's like a I think it's a powerful time to kind of reset and reassess how you want to move forward once the world starts opening back up totally okay so do we want to move on to tip number five yeah uh, so tip number five is if you're prepared and we'll give you some qualifiers for this, uh, go on offense and invest in broadly diversified index funds. All right. So we talked about timing the market a few minutes ago and how we're not big fans of that. Uh, what we are fans of is using index funds. This is for long-term buy and hold. This is not to try and put all of your money into the market uh, so that you can you know, ride the wave back up and then draw it out next year. Because here's the deal. We don't know if it's going to come back next year. We don't know if it's going to come back in two years or five years or 10 years. We guess that the market will come back based on historical experience. So what is an index fund? So you know, very briefly, if you buy a single stock, you are buying a share, you're buying a share of ownership in a company. And as a part owner of that company, uh, you're entitled to getting dividends and sharing in the profits that that company makes. And if the share price goes up and you decide to share, sell your share of ownership, you make money, right? That's the basic idea of buying and selling stocks. Well, a mutual fund is just a grouping of a bunch of stocks together into a big pot so that everyday normal people like, you know, you and I who don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in direct access to companies and don't want to do that, um, we can just buy a whole group of stocks and uh, and boom, now we own 500 stocks or, you know, 800 stocks or thousands of stocks all in one. Well, an index fund is like a mutual fund. The difference is that rather than having some professional money manager manage this thing and you know try and make trades on our behalf and sort of use their skills and expertise and experience an index fund matches an index using computers automatically so what's an index well there's indexes that you've probably heard of like the nasdaq or the s&p 500 uh, that are a grouping of stocks based on a basically like a a conglomerate of putting them all together so the s&p 500 is essentially more or less it's it's the largest 500 companies in the US and if you were to weight all of those companies and their values together you would get this number right this number that's an index and the index basically just says how well on average are we doing uh with this group of stocks with this 500 companies um as we go, right? So over time, the S&P 500 goes up and then it goes down and it just tracks all those 500 stocks together. Well, if you were to buy an S&P 500 index fund, what you're doing is you're basically just investing all of your money into those specific 500 stocks. And when they all go up, you win. And when they all go down, your portfolio goes down and you just ride the wave. So we're a big fan of investing and broadly diversified index funds, and basically, more or less, just buying the whole market. And there are total U.S. stock market indexes, there are total international market indexes, there are total bond market indexes, and you can just literally buy every stock on the planet in one large group and just ride the wave. But it's not picking one company. That's right. Yeah. You're not you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. And again, without trying to not get too technical here, but most of the time, these index funds are actually weighted based on the weight of the company. So for example, if you uh, invested $1,000 and 
into an S&P 500 index. It's not like it just divides your $1,000 by 500 and puts the same amount of money in every company. Instead, what happens is a percentage of your money goes into each company based on the size of the company relative to all the other companies. There's a lot of terms. <laughs> let's let's say Amazon, I don't even know these numbers, right? So I'm making them up for ease of example. Let's pretend that Amazon makes up 1% in terms of its size of the entire S&P 500. Well, then 1% of your $1,000 would go to Amazon, Okay. right? And then if you have, let's say Walmart makes up 0.75%, then 0.75% of your money goes to Walmart. Okay. And let's say the smallest, you know, the, the 499th company in that group, maybe they only make up 0.01% of those 500. Well, then 0.01% of your money goes to that company. So your money's getting weighted based on the size of uh, of the, the index. So Okay, so you've sold us on broadly diversified index funds. So how do we know if we're ready to actually buy that? Yeah, yeah. So you're ready to actually buy this, assuming that you've done some of the other tips on this list, which is like, you know where your money stands, you're budgeting, or you're tracking it, you at least have a semblance of what you're doing. You are not concerned about job loss, right? If you just lost your job, we're not trying to make money in the market, okay? We're trying to get our income back. <laughs> That's what we're focused on. So if you've got that stable job and if you've got an emergency fund so that if you did lose your job, you wouldn't have to dip into the money. That, that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. The reason that we have sort of, uh, hey, don't do this, don't invest before you do this, is what I've seen people do is they get really excited about investing during a crisis like this because they're excited to make money. And so then they want to throw as much money as they can in there, sometimes even their emergency fund. And then if they do lose their job or they have a, ma a major medical it's emergency, trouble. well, now what do they do? Well, they have to go pull the money that they've invested. And that money may have gone down. So just like we said earlier, you only lose when you actually sell. Well, if you have an emergency and you lose your income, you may have to sell your stocks and your investments, and then therefore you're going to lock in any losses that you've sort of put in. Well, what about um, debt? What if I have the opportunity to forego making some of my loan payments for a certain amount of time? Should I be redirecting that money into the market? Yeah. So again, <laughs> this is like a, it's a very nuanced question, right? If <laughs> to clarify, his answer was not, yeah, you should. No, no. Yeah. My, my answer was it's a nuanced, it's a nuanced answer. So again, actually what you said at the beginning of this podcast, which was uh, what was wise before Corona is still wise during which means if you've got a lot of high interest credit card debt, no, don't just get some sort of zero balance transfer uh, because they're offering them right now and then decide to use the money you were using to pay down debt in the market. That doesn't make sense. If you've got high interest credit card debt, you always want to pay that off and get that locked out. Now, if the decision is student loans versus, you know, or your, or your mortgage, I'm still going to say, you know, I'm still going to lean towards uh, making sure you have that emergency fund. And, and the bottom line is most people who have a lot of student loan debt don't have three to six months of emergency money mm -hmm. saved up, right? And so you're probably not going to meet the other factors that I would, you know, want to look at. So if you are putting your loans in deferment, and uh, like a lot of the federal student loans are right now, if you're putting those in deferment and you're not going to pay them for the time being, I'd probably just be hoarding that cash in case of job loss. And then when it comes time to start paying the student loans again, I might take some of that and just, you know, accelerate my loan pay down. Because yeah. again, most people's student loans are in that six, seven, eight percent plus range. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, the long term compound annual growth rate of the stock market is around seven percent. 
So if I can get a guaranteed five, six, seven, eight percent by paying my loans off early, I'm I'm gonna take that before I before I chance it in the market. Yeah. And I do want to point out how important the earlier tip of having a budget is in this scenario, because if you're just deferring payments, all of a sudden you have more money. Yep. And it's easy to say, okay, I'm gonna set this aside for my emergency fund or whatever. But then it's also really easy to get on Amazon and order the $100 watch you've been wanting and, you know, all the other things you've been wanting. So you need to have that budget and you need to know, you need to make sure that that money is going where it needs to go. That's right. That's right. I mean, again, what's the way to get out of debt? The way to get out of debt is number one, by don't going into more debt. Okay. Don't going into more debt. Yeah. Don't going into more debt. (laughs) That's why you're here. You're here to make fun (laughs) of me. Uh What's the best way to invest? Number one way to invest, right, is to not lose money by having to take your investment back out to cover emergencies, right? That's that's out of the gate. We want to avoid that. So to kind of wrap this tip up, I think it's important to state, uh, I'm not a financial advisor. Hannah's not a financial advisor. What? I'm not? We don't play one on the internet. Uh, we are just a couple who are supremely interested in finance and have some ideas on it. So I'm um, slightly less supremely interested in supreme, finance. Slightly less supremely interested. Yeah. So, you know, our, our opinion is to look at broadly diversified index funds. If you want to get more of this kind of info, uh, we highly recommend two books. One is the Bogleheads Guide to Investing, and the other is called The Simple Path to Wealth. So check out those books if you want to learn more about uh, sort of the approaches that we've laid out here in tip number uh, five. Tip number five. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is tip number five. Sorry. I got ahead of myself. No, you're good. You're excited. So let's go to tip number six. Okay. So tip number six is to develop a morning routine. And I feel like a lot of people are probably thinking that's not related to finance at all. Oh, it's totally related to finance. Yeah, I agree. Honestly, it kind of goes back to the defense offense, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, This to me is an offensive move of, hey, we have more time on our hands. Now, granted, if, if you're listening and you've got like four kids that are all of a sudden at home with you and you're wanting to yell at me right now because I don't have kids. If you and, have one kid that's all of a sudden kid, at yeah, home yeah. with you that you're trying to homeschool yeah. while working from home. I get it. Okay, I get it. You probably technically don't have more time on your hands because there, things have changed. So I understand that. But in general, we don't have a commute. We can't take our kids to extracurricular activities because they've all been canceled. Mm -hmm. We have no social gatherings. We're all at home. Yeah, a a lot of this stuff that normally can kind of bog us down a little bit is off the table for the moment. Yep. And, you know, there's definitely new challenges. Like you said, we've got homeschooling now. We've got working from home, which is a whole new thing we have to figure out. Uh, We've got unemployment, which is what we've been talking about. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of new challenges we're facing, but there are some new benefits. And so... Uh, how can we obviously go on the defense from the challenges, but how can we go on offense for the benefits, uh, which we think one of the best ways to do that is by having a solid morning routine. And it comes back to that that idea of this being an opportunity to reset and reassess. So I think it is a cool time to be able to implement some some new productive habits into your morning. So for us, that's look like trying to wake up earlier, yep. for sure. Yep. And Since we've been in the Airstream, we've really seen how valuable a morning routine is because so much of our, of our, you know, our location changes and our schedule changes day by day, just, you know, depending on what calls Nick has and where we're at in the Airstream, if we're around family, if we're not around family, all that stuff. So the, the constant that we can take with us is our morning routine and, uh, and 
we've I think we've kind of been a little bit surprised by how grounded we feel when we do that morning routine and then how chaotic oh my we can feel when we when we miss it. Well, and I mean, let's be honest, the first two weeks of quarantine, we were terrible. Yeah, I mean, we were. We slept into like 11 every day. And then Not we every would, day. I mean, a lot of days we slept in and then we would sort of roll out and like, then we get to work. Well, yeah. Know. The problem was we would sleep in later because it felt like, okay, well, Whatever. we weren't around anybody. We yep. weren't around family or anything. There was nothing to go do. And so we would roll out of bed later and then we would work really late into yep. the night and then we'd sleep late because yep. we had set up late working and it threw off our whole schedule and we just started feeling like garbage yep. and we were less productive. Even though we were working a lot of hours, it was taking a lot more hours to get the same amount of work done. And the way this plays into finance is it it all works together. So what was happening with us is guess what? We would wake up late. Okay. And so what does that mean? Well, it means we're definitely not going to work out. Mm-hmm. And then what does that mean? Well, we're going to be kind of sluggish and inefficient mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. Uh, which means we're kind of feeling down, which does two things. One, it makes us want to cope by buying stuff on the internet. And then, or buying unhealthy food. And that's what I was going to say. And, yeah. and really for us, it was buying unhealthy food, mm-hmm. right? So it was uh, when the when the quarantine first kicked off, where we were at in our camper, um, there were still plenty of restaurants doing takeout. Yeah. And uh, and so we, we were eating a lot of We were eating a lot of pizza wings. and chicken wings. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So much pizza and chicken wings. And uh, and it, it was a coping thing, right? We just felt bad all around. And so, therefore, that was like, that was like oh, yeah, let's do that for 8 p.m. dinner again. Well, and it's so weird because kind of what we talked about earlier, we don't have kids or anything. And no. we always work from home. Yep. But we normally will go to like a coffee shop every now and again. Or I don't know. We just, even just having the option of going somewhere. It does something to you mentally when you just know that you, you have no options. Yeah. 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 So we recognize that our situation was like way easier than so many people's. And for whatever reason, it still felt like a mental hurdle yeah. that we had to get over. Yeah. Um, well, during that time, I remember there was a, a tweet that was getting retweeted like a bajillion times where it said, uh, you know, the the iPhone thing that like automatically calculates your screen time for the yeah. day. They were like, uh, one side benefit of coronavirus is the uh, the screen time counter also tracks my sleep. Just take <laughs> just take the number 24 and subtract it from whatever the screen time is, and that tells you the amount of hours you slept. And it's like, yeah, because you wake up, scroll social media, go to bed. That's so bad. So all that to say, okay, so that was the first couple of weeks for us in the quarantine. And then we started getting on a much better morning routine. And the last few weeks, I feel like, have been really solid. Yeah, I'm going to give a shout-out to this, this alarm clock that I downloaded, oh first gosh. of all. It is the most obnoxious. It might make you fight with your spouse in the morning, but other than that, it's not that bad. So, alarming. Just alarm with a Y on the end. So, one of the options for an alarm is to scan a barcode. And so I scanned the poopery in our (laughs) bathroom. And so one morning I was feeling particularly whiny. And I have it set to this obnoxious yeah, rooster, it's a rooster sound rooster too. Crow. Oh, it's terrible. It like ooh, it makes me cringe thinking about it going off in the morning. But so it's going off and I just like roll over and I'm like, Nick, scan the scan the poopery. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that's a sentence that ever comes out of my mouth is So ridiculous. I get up, I go to the bathroom, I've got Hannah's phone, I'm trying to scan this thing. The barcode is like on the side corner of it. It's in low light, it never scans, so I flip on all the lights, I'm mad because this thing's crowing at me, I can't get it to turn off. Uh, anyways, long story short, we got up and worked out that morning. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> so, the alarm is so bad, the alarm is but it so will bad. get you out of bed, it holy will. cow. Yep. So 
All that to say, okay, how does this come around to finance? Well, if you get up in the morning and we found trying to set the first thing that we do, something we actually want to do, um, you've started recently doing your journaling before working out, which I think has helped a little bit because you like it more. It has. It's easier for me to get up and like... I've been like doing a, a hot cup of lemon water while yeah. I journal. And so that that's been nice. Like I it's hard for me to get up out of bed really early and then like instantly start moving. Yeah. Like I'm just not there yet. So that kind of gives me my my time to to set my brain for the day. And then I get I get more in the mood to go work out. Yeah. Yep. And so for us, you know, parts of our morning routine, journaling, reading, working out, and then um you probably less as far as looking at the budget every single morning. Yeah, uh, I don't look at it every morning. But I, I, I certainly look at the budget every morning yeah. and just sort of get like a quick, okay, where are we at in the month? What bills will come through? Uh, sort of what's going on? And, you know, certainly where's income at for us as business owners and income being variable. But if you've got big financial goals that you're working on right now, um, I'm a huge fan of setting just 10 minutes in the morning, you know, part of your routine. Just take a look at the budget, see what's going on. And uh, just a quick check-in, and then you're good to go. And if you do that every single day, you're going to be so much more aware as you're spending money. You're going to make better decisions about where you want your money to go, and ultimately it'll it'll just uh, keep it top of mind for you. And I think, just to touch on this for a second more, I think if we were just now starting to use YNAB or some sort of budgeting software, then I would probably try to work that into my morning routine Yeah, just to like have it on my mind and, and kind of, you know, try to bring myself back to that throughout the day as I'm making buying decisions, but that's already so much, um, that's already ingrained. It's so ingrained. Like I automatically at look point. at YNAB before I buy things. Yep. So I don't feel the need to just pull it up in the morning when I'm not making a purchase. Yep. The other thing that I want to touch on with a morning routine is there's a ton of information out there about morning routines and what you should do in the morning and what time you should wake up and all that stuff. And I think it's just like personal finance. Like it's what, so personal. Yes. Like what kind of gets you going in the morning and what helps you set your mind right for the day and have a more productive day is so personal. So I think, you know, I love watching videos and whatever and seeing what other people do in their morning routines. But don't feel like that's the end all be all. Like adjust things to suit what what you need them to be. Yeah. I mean, even us, we have slightly we have similar morning routines because we do work out together. But other than that, we have kind of different morning routines mm-hmm. for how we structure it, what we do, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think I would just encourage you to go watch a bunch of YouTube videos and see what people do for their morning routines. Pick and choose the two to four things that you like. Try them out. And then if you hate it after doing it for like three days, then cut one of them. Well, it's even like um, I've been doing the morning pages yep. from the artist. I think it's the artist way. Yeah, right? I think so. I haven't read the book, but everybody talks about doing the morning pages, which is like three pages of stream of consciousness writing. So I did that for a few days and I, I didn't dislike that. Like, I, I think that's a good practice. But then there was um, there was a the prayer of examine from from an Enneagram book that yeah, we had yeah. read, the sacred Enneagram. And um, I'd been wanting to try to like incorporate that prayer into my day. And so at first I was trying to stick with the morning pages, just doing the stream of consciousness writing, and then also do this like prayer of examine kind of thing, maybe in the evening. And I kept putting it off. Like I, it would get really late and I'd be like, oh, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll just go to bed. So what I've been doing instead is like using my morning pages as the time to go through that prayer of examine finding ways to 
to combine different practices and like different things that you're wanting to incorporate into your day. Um, I think that's been one of one of the better things for me. And I tend to be like a rule follower. So if you tell me to write three pages stream of consciousness, then I'm like, okay, like, well, that's what I got to do. That's what I have to do. I can't yeah. change it at all. So, so just try and just try out different things and seeing what works. Yeah. I may it, stick with that. I may not. If it know. doesn't, if it doesn't like feel good for your morning routine, then, you know, fine. Yeah. Do something different. I think ultimately the, the reason we find this such an important tip for right now in a crisis is because it resets you every day. And especially with the news and social media and everything that's going on, it is so easy to get kind of like down and in the dumps about everything that's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And if you make, guess what, not being part of your morning routine, right, looking at the news, uh, if you if you can reset yourself for the day in a way that matters to you, whether it's looking at your finances or working out and focus on your health or reading or whatever it is, if you can reset yourself for the morning, you just set yourself up to have a much better day. And then when you are bombarded with all the terrible negative things that are happening in the world, um, I feel like you're much more prepared to yeah, combat that. You've put your armor on for the day. Totally. Yeah. Um, one last thing on that, on morning routines, just like we talk about having your bare minimum number for your budget, I think having like a bare minimum morning routine is a really good thing yeah. too. So, you know, having your ideal morning and then knowing if I'm in a tight, here's kind of my essentials that I need to do every morning, regardless like of what else is going on. like a stripped down version of it. Yep. I think, like, I don't want to speak for all women here, but I think women probably have that with makeup, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. this is my, like, normal makeup. This is my, like, oh, I just woke up late in my bare minimum makeup. Yeah. And this is my, like, oh, I'm going out makeup, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so same kind of thing with the morning routine, you know, my ideal morning routine would probably be like two and a half hours. Oh yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't have that much time most of the time. Yeah. On, on the rare occasion that we like wake up at four 30 in the morning. Yeah. We do those it's ideal awesome. morning routines and it, it is awesome. Yeah. But like, that's, we do love it. Like we yeah. get to the end of the day and we're like, man, that was awesome. Why don't we do that every day? And then four 30 rolls around the next day and we remember why we don't do it every yeah, day. Yeah. Like, eh, we'll do the minimum one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tip number seven. Uh, tip number seven is to focus on what you can control. There's absolutely no better time to focus on what you can control than when everything in the world literally feels out of control. And ultimately, I mean, it's it's very uh, it's a very stoic uh, response, right? Of mm -hmm. this idea of worrying about things that you can't control isn't practical. Yeah. It, it just wastes so much of oh your my energy. Gosh. So much. And, and it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything. It, it, it's not moving you forward. And it's actually moving you backwards. I mean, it has a real negative impact on people. Yep. So if you've if you've lost your job, if you uh, are struggling in any way at all, uh, or if you're just like watching the news and just worried, the, the bottom line is all that stuff is legitimate. Like, you know, it sucks. There's a lot of bad things that have happened over the past few months. And I'm not trying to minimize any of that. But focusing on it won't change it. Yeah. So the question is ultimately, okay, looking forward, what can we do practically to try and come out of this as best as we can? Yeah. And the, the practical idea or practical way that I like to think about going about that is Gary Keller's idea of like the one thing. Yep. You know, it can be overwhelming because there's always a million things that we could be doing better. Like, yeah. let's get real. But just thinking of that idea of what one thing can I do today to be in a little better spot tomorrow yep. and not getting overly complicated with things, not trying to wake up at 430 and do the ideal morning routine right out of the gate and, you know, have everything in line and do everything perfect when 
go from zero to 60, you know, from one day to to the next, that's not going to work. But having that mindset of just picking one simple thing that you can do, and then the next day, another one simple thing that you can do and letting those things build on each other. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. And, and even having like, uh, one or, you know, one simple thing that you want to come out of this virus with. Yeah. You know, I think um, there's there's a number of people I've actually seen in the YouTube comments and emails that we've gotten who, you know, th- they're lucky they have not lost their job or they haven't been in an industry that was super affected. So they're okay income wise, which means naturally their spending has dropped because mm-hmm. they literally can't go out to eat or they can't go whatever. Gas bills are down. Uh, kids' extracurricular expenses are down. And so they're using this time to build that budget and finally build something in their finances that, you know, uh, will hopefully last. Yeah. And, and now's almost an easier time to do that because you just have less moving pieces and parts uh, than you normally would. Mm-hmm. So one thing we wanted to do as part of this tip uh, was to read a section of the book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, which is a book about uh, practical stoicism. And there's a portion of the book where he talks about the serenity prayer, which was a prayer that's been around for a long time, but it's it's used a lot uh, by recovering addicts. Yeah, and, I feel like most people have heard this, even if they don't realize that they've heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to read that, and then I'm going to read uh, a little section right after it where Ryan Holiday goes on talking about it. So here's the prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And then Ryan Holiday goes on and says, this is how they focus their efforts, talking about recovering addicts. It's a lot easier to fight addiction when you aren't also fighting the fact that you were born, that your parents were monsters, or that you lost everything. That stuff is done, delivered, zero in 100 chances that you can change it. So what if you focused on what you can change? That's where you can make a difference. And what are those things? Our emotions, our judgments, our creativity, our attitude, our perspective, our desires, our decisions, and our determination. This is our playing field, so to speak. Everything here is fair game. And what is not up to us, what's not in our control? Well, everything else. The weather, the economy, circumstances, other people's emotions or judgments, disasters, etc. So for me and Hannah... Um, what does that look like? Well, we've kind of hit it with these other six tips. It's looked like cutting back in our spending where we can so that we can save cash and then invest where we can. And then also focusing on uh, our health and our morning routines, just focusing on what we can change. For us, you know, we live in an RV full time. We had a lot of travel plans that got completely canceled or thrown to the wayside. And it really upset me. And I've let that bother me a lot. And I've thought about it way too much over the past couple of months. But I try to remember on a daily basis that there's nothing I can do about that. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. And so I just need to focus on the day-to-day things that are in my control. I think this whole idea of focusing your efforts kind of leads naturally into to thinking about your habits and trying to improve your habits and, um, you know, the idea of like the one thing that we talked about. And I think an important part of that to remember as far as long-term success goes is the whole idea of enjoying the journey and not focusing so much on this perfect destination or um, state that you're trying to reach. You know, like if you're, if you're trying to work out more, don't focus on trying to get six pack abs, because then you only feel that success and that enjoyment when you actually have six pack abs, which may, I mean, it may never happen. And probably if that's the only time that you're going to enjoy exercising, it's not going to happen happen because you're going to quit. So 
if it, if instead you focus on learning to enjoy the journey and and feeling that that sense of accomplishment every time you do something that's going to help you be just a little bit better and you enjoy the journey the whole way, then you're much more likely to actually reach that destination that you want to get to. Totally agreed. And along those lines, I've got some stuff we like. Stuff we like. All right, so Hannah, what do you uh, what do you like today? What do you want to share with us? Today I am liking Gabby Reese. And I have talked about Gabby Reese's podcast at different points. Her podcast is just good. Every time I listen to it, yeah, it's it's good. Um, but one of the ideas, I think this was actually in James Clear's book too, but I can't totally remember. So the last person that I heard talk about it was Gabby. And it was the whole idea of what feels good now is probably not what's going to feel good later. And so back to our whole morning routine discussion, you know, in the moment, it feels really good to turn the alarm off and sleep until 11. Yep. It feels great, but it does not feel good later when we actually no. wake up and start trying it. to start our day and like work and we're working late and it throws off our whole next day. Like it feels awful. And so that's kind of been my mantra the past couple of days. And, you know, when I don't feel like working out, just remembering what feels good now doesn't feel good later and just pushing through that that in the moment discomfort to do what I know that I need to do so that's been really helpful yeah well and that mantra is perfect for finance too right what feels good now making this purchase now uh, is not going to feel good later when I look at my spending and I can't buy this other thing that I really would want more yep Okay, so why don't you uh, bring us home and tie a bow on it for us, Nick? Perfect. So, uh, yeah, we had seven tips on what to do with your money, both you know during this virus, but if you're listening to this in the future, during another crisis. Uh, number one, don't try and time the market. Number two, build a budget. Number three, cut what you can, right? Go on defense and hang on to cash. Number four, make yourself as employable as possible. Number five, if you're prepared for it, Go ahead and start investing in the market and broadly diversified index funds is our favorite way. Tip number six, develop a morning routine. And uh, as part of that routine, maybe work in looking at that budget that you've created. And then number seven, focus on what you can control and stop worrying about the stuff that you can't. Now, all the other stuff that we've mentioned in this podcast will be in the show notes there in your podcast player. So like links to the Bogleheads Guide to Investing and the Simple Path to Wealth, The Obstacle is the Way. Uh, we'll also probably link up a, a couple of YouTube videos for morning routine resources that we really like and, uh, you know, some of the, the morning workouts and things of that nature. All right. That sounds good. I guess that does it for today. All right. That does it. Thank you so much for listening, y'all. And we will see you next time. See you later. Bye.